Welcome everybody to week three of Be The Church, this six-week journey we're taking together to help us move from just going to church to being the church wherever we go. And kind of a couple things we've learned so far in this journey. One, we've learned that being the church is not just about leaving the building and serving in our community, but it is ultimately about living out the very specific mission that Jesus gave us, that we are to do the things that Jesus did when he was physically in this world. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. We are to be the continued physical presence of Jesus in our world and in our generation. A second thing we've learned is that this mission that Jesus calls us to is very personal and it is very relational. What I mean by that, it's not just about reaching out to this nebulous crowd of broken and hurting people around us, but the mission has a name and a face and a need. See, maybe for you, the mission is Bill, who works two cubicles down from you, and he's struggling in his relationship with his marriage and his children. Or maybe the mission for you is Jennifer, that single mom whose kids play soccer with your kids. Or maybe the mission for you is old man Johnson who lives down the road. And on the exterior, he comes across as just a grumpy old man who's always in a bad mood and yells at the kids if they step on his grass. But in reality, behind the scenes, he's just a very lonely man. He misses his wife so much. And the children never call, let alone come by to visit, and he's lonely. Or or maybe the mission today is sitting somewhere near you on your campus. And man, they, they love Jesus and they want to follow him, but right now they're just overwhelmed by the stuff of life. And listen, they know they need to get connected to a home group, but the idea of showing up with a group of strangers in somebody's strange house is just more than they could do. But they might be open if you introduced yourself, if you got to know them a little bit, they might be willing to take that next step. See, if we're not careful When we think about the lost, hurting, and broken people, we think about them as those people out there instead of understanding that it's that person that God puts right in front of you day in and day out. You know, one of the most amazing things about Jesus when he was here on this earth was his ability to see the individual faces and the needs of the people in the huge crowds that were always around him. If you read the Gospels, you know, in the second half of Jesus' earthly ministries, he began to gain popularity and notoriety. He was almost surrounded by huge crowds of people pressing in, wanting to see him, wanting to touch him, wanting to hear from him. In fact, it got so bad at times, Jesus would often literally hide from those crowds just to get a moment, get a break, or or just get a little time to be in prayer with his father. But don't misunderstand what Jesus was and wasn't doing. Because see, for Jesus, those crowds of people 
were individuals who were hurting, individuals who had needs. They were never an inconvenience for him. They were always an opportunity to live out the mission that God had sent him for. In fact, I want you to notice what Matthew writes about Jesus in Matthew 9, 36. He says about Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, the reason Jesus had compassion on the crowds was because he saw the needs of the individuals in those crowds. Some of those needs were obvious. They were blind, they were crippled, they were sick, they, they needed obvious help, but many times the needs of the people in Jesus' crowd were hidden below the surface. And that's true for us as well. Certainly there are many people around us with obvious needs. They struggle with severe poverty or, or food insecurity or they're homeless or they're struggling with an addiction or a, a mental illness and you can see that on the surface but never forget there are also lots of people around us who look good on the outside and seem like they have it all together but on the inside they're empty and broken and lost. Henry David Thoreau, the great poet and philosopher, once wrote that most men lead lives of quiet desperation and they go to the grave with the song still in them. What does that mean? It means there are people all around us who are making a good living, but they're living an empty life. They're paying the bills, but they're struggling to find purpose and meaning in their life. And being the church is about sharing the hope of Jesus, not only with the down and outs, but the up and outs as well. And so to help us do that, we're going to look at an encounter Jesus had with a man named Zacchaeus. Now, I would imagine most of you have probably heard that name before. In fact, just raise your hand if you've heard the name of Zacchaeus before, right? And I'm betting you probably know a few things about Zacchaeus. How many of you know at least one or two things about Zacchaeus? Yes, that's most of us. And I'm willing to bet that you know what you know about Zacchaeus, not because you did an intensive study of the Gospel of Luke, but you learned it from a song you were taught as a child. Am I right? Right, and that song taught us that Zacchaeus was a what? He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a what? Sycamore tree. And he climbed up in that tree because he wanted to see the Lord, right? Unfortunately, that song, though fairly biblically accurate, has relegated Zacchaeus and this encounter Jesus has with him to some kind of little cartoony children's-like tale. But in reality, as we'll see today, this is an encounter that Jesus has with a man who is desperately seeking more to life. The encounter is recorded in Luke's gospel, the 19th chapter. If you have a Bible or Bible app, we're gonna be hanging out in those first 10 verses. If you don't, it's okay. We've got many of them printed up on your outline. This encounter takes place near the very end 
of Jesus' earthly ministry. In fact, Jesus is literally on his way to Jerusalem for what will turn out to be the last week of his life, the Passion Week. And for some reason, Jesus decides that on the way to Jerusalem, he wants to pass through the city of Jericho. And yes, Jericho is a city. Right, It's not one of these dusty little towns or villages that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Jericho is a major metropolitan area, a big city filled with thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people. And while there's nothing in Scripture to indicate that Jesus had ever been to Jericho before this time, what is clear in Scripture is that the people of the city of Jericho had heard about Jesus Because when they hear he's coming, they literally flock into the streets to catch a glimpse of him. In my mind, when I read this passage, it seems like almost like it's a parade, right? Jesus and his disciples are walking down the road and people are stacked three and four deep on either side of the road, just trying to catch a glimpse of this hot new rabbi that they've heard so much about. And for some reason, we don't know why, apparently Zach was late to the parade. Because he's in the back of the crowd. He forgot to put his chair out on the curb a couple of hours early so he could have a good seat. And so he's unable to see Jesus. And he does the strangest thing. He tries to figure out where he thinks Jesus is headed. And he runs ahead of him. And he does literally climb up in a tree to see Jesus. And not only does Zach see Jesus, but more importantly, Jesus sees Zach. And they have an encounter that will literally change Zach's life forever. And as we go below the lyrics of the children's song and dig into the truth of what happened, two things we'll discover. One, we'll get some insight into the quietly desperate people who live around us. And we'll discover some practical steps to reach and connect with the Zacchaeuses in our world. So let's jump in. One of the things Zach's teaches us about the quietly desperate people around us is that they often appear to be living the good life. They often appear on the outside to be living the good life. Quietly desperate people don't wear signs that say, I'm empty, I'm lost, and I'm struggling for purpose. In fact, it's usually just the opposite. They put on a good show. They look good on the outside. If you were to look at their Facebook or their Instagram, you would think, man, they've got a great, you'd be jealous of all the cool things they get to do and the places they're going and how wonderful their marriage and their job is like. That's what it would appear like on the outside. And it certainly looked that way for Zach. In fact, notice verse two, Luke writes, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was very important, a very important tax collector, and he was wealthy. See, outwardly, Zach had it going on. He had a good job. In fact, he had a great job. And yes, we'll learn in a little bit that being a tax collector in the first century for the Roman Empire was a not a very popular job, it was a very powerful job. And Zach had risen up the corporate ladder. He had that influential life. Like him or hate him, he had a lot of power. And on top of that, he had a lot of money. He was wealthy. In the words of that great theologian Snoop Dogg, he was living la vida mas. He was living the fine life, baby. And yet Jesus saw past the facade to the emptiness and the desperation 
within. And I don't know if Jesus could see that because he was God in the flesh, or maybe it was just the fact that a grown man would climb a tree. But whatever it was, Jesus noticed that the outside didn't match the inside. Another thing Zach teaches us about the quietly desperate is that they have often been hurt by religion. They've often been hurt by religion. And that would have been true for Zach because in that culture, being a Jewish person collecting taxes for the Roman occupiers would have been seen as being a turncoat, selling out your own people, collecting taxes for your own people to give to the very people who were oppressing you. As I said, it was a very unpopular job, but there's really nothing in the scripture that says that it's a sin to be a tax collector. I know oftentimes you read a, a sinner and tax collector linked together in the Bible, but there's nothing that said being a tax collector is a sin. In fact, when John the Baptist was preaching and baptizing for repentance of sin, he said to tax collectors, not quit your job. He just said, be fair, don't cheat. Don't take more than you deserve. But whether it was a sin or not, everybody thought of Zach as a sinner. He was seen as unclean, as an outsider, unworthy of being a part of their religious group. In fact, you can see that when Jesus decides to go to dinner with Zach. Notice how the people react. Verse 7, it says, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. You know, many of the empty and lost people around us, they've had some experience with religion and church, and for many of them, that experience has been bad. They haven't felt welcome and loved. They've felt rejected. They've felt judged, and they've been made to feel that they weren't quite worthy. You know, maybe that's the reason sometimes you invite someone, a non-believer, to church, and they don't want to come. They won't accept your kind invitation. Maybe they're carrying some wounds. They've been hurt by churches and Christ followers and religion. But here's something interesting. Even though they have often been hurt by religion, they are also often curious about Jesus. That's the third thing Zach teaches us about quietly desperate people is they're often curious about Jesus. Zach certainly was. Notice verse three and four. It says he wanted to see who Jesus was. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, to see Jesus. Do you see the level of desire there? Look, in the first century, grown men didn't run. It was considered undignified to run, let alone to climb up in a tree. And yet there was a drive, a desire, a curiosity in Zach to see Jesus. You know, in my experience, many of the people that you know that are unwilling to have conversations about church or religion or faith are often open to conversations about Jesus. They may not like the church, they may not like Christianity, but people often love to talk about Jesus. The question is, are you willing to have those conversations? And look, I'm not talking about shoving a four happy hops to heaven track 
in their face and telling them they need to turn or burn. I'm just talking about sharing the difference that Jesus has made in your life. One of the reasons we're shy about having conversations about Jesus with non-believers is not because we don't want to do that or don't think we need to do that. We're just afraid we don't know enough to do that. Like, I don't know enough of the Bible or I won't be able to answer all their questions. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about sharing the story of the difference Jesus made in your life. And you're an expert. You know the answer to every question of that story. I love that time in John chapter 9 when Jesus healed the blind man. This is the one Jesus healed by spitting in the dirt and making mud and rubbing it into his eyes. And after this guy was healed, the religious leaders called him in and they started asking him questions about Jesus. Is he the Messiah? Is he the devil? Do you know what he's saying? What he's doing? All these questions about Jesus. And I love this guy's answer. He said, I don't know about all that, but I do know this. I once was blind and now I can see. And this man is the one who did that. They're open to conversations about Jesus. Are we willing to have them, church? And then finally, number four, the fourth thing we learned from Zach about quietly desperate people is that they often face barriers. As much as they're curious about and wanna know more about Jesus, there are usually barriers between them and Jesus. For Zach, that barrier was the crowd. Notice verse three. It says, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Fun fact, if you look at this verse in the original language, the Greek language, the way that it's written, the grammar that's used, it is impossible to tell from that grammar who was the short person. Because it says, Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because he was short. Maybe Zach was short. Maybe Jesus was short, right? I know that's blowing you away. And I'm not saying or advocating that we need to start singing Jesus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. In fact, the preponderance of the evidence kind of ports towards more than likely it really was Zach who was short because Luke says in chapter two that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature physically. I'm not saying that Jesus was short. Here's what I am saying, that sometimes the barrier between Jesus and desperate people is something with them, something personal in them, but sometimes the barrier is us. The way we act, the things we post on Facebook, The tight grip we hold on to our political dogma can often be a barrier to Jesus. So so maybe the best way for us to be the church to the Zachs around us is to be a little less like the crowd and a little more like Jesus. And that's the second thing I want us to learn from this encounter, and that's how to be Jesus, how to reach a Zacchaeus in your world. Three things Jesus did to reach and connect with Zacchaeus that we can do to reach and connect with the quietly desperate people who are all around us. Number one, the first thing we have to do is connect with them where they are. Connect with them where they are. 
not where we want them to be or where we think they should be. Notice what Jesus does, first part of verse five. It says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. See, in that moment, Zach went from just being another face in the crowd to someone that Jesus valued enough to connect with and start a conversation with. But interestingly, Jesus starts that conversation while Zach's still in the tree. He doesn't say, hey, you short man, you come on down and we'll have a talk. No, he calls him by name and starts the conversation with Zach in the tree. We need to reach out to people where they are, not where we want them to be. So let me ask you this. Where can you connect with a Zach in your world? You ever wonder sometimes if maybe the reason you work where you work is not just about God providing you uh, to be able to pay the bills and take care of your family. You ever wonder maybe you work where you work because there's somebody there that desperately needs Jesus? God's put you there as a part of your mission. You ever wondered why you live where you live? Do you, you think you're in that neighborhood or that apartment just so you have a roof over your head? Or could it be possible that there's somebody in your neighborhood in that apartment complex that God wants you to reach with the good news, the hope of Jesus? You know, in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us as his followers, we are to be the salt of the earth. Now, I don't know much about salt, but I do know two things. One, the value of salt is in its saltiness. The uniqueness of its flavor, it's different than everything out around it. That's why it has value, because it has a unique taste. But the second thing I know to be true about salt is salt works best when it's out of the shaker when it's poured out onto the food to, to make the food taste unique. That's what we are called to do. See, the heart of this Be The Church journey is not us trying to get more people to join us in the salt shaker, but it's to allow Jesus to pour us out to make a difference in the lives of people around us. And it starts by connecting with people right where they are. Reaching a Zacchaeus starts with connecting with them where they are, but it sure doesn't end there. Notice the second thing Jesus says we have to do. We have to be willing to go deeper. To reach a Zac, you gotta be willing to go deeper. And here's why. Because for so many of them, the need and the hurt is well hidden behind the facade of a good life. And it's gonna take more than a brief conversation and connection. Look at what Jesus does for Zach. Second part of verse five. Zacchaeus, Jesus said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Is it just me or does that seem a little pushy for Jesus, right? Does it seem like he's inviting himself? Like, we're going to your house for dinner. So does that mean we need to be pushy with the people around them to insert ourselves where we've not been invited? No, that is not what Jesus is doing. You have to understand in that culture, there was no way that Zach 
a tax collector, could invite Jesus, a rabbi, a holy man, into his house. It just wasn't done. So Jesus is simply taking the lead and saying, dude, I want to go deeper with you. And besides, Zach climbed a tree to see him. Don't you think Zach would have been excited to have Jesus, this hot new rabbi, come to us? Everybody in the parade would have wanted Jesus to come home with them. But Jesus chose to prioritize one outsider over all of the other insiders that were there. Seems like I've read somewhere about a good shepherd that leaves the 99 to pursue the one. You know, that's one of the reasons why we here at Cedar Creek Church intentionally limit church-focused meetings and activities. That's why we don't draw you back out here for Sunday night services and Wednesday night services and different Bible studies at the church every night of the week. Why don't we do all that? Because we wanna free you to be the church outside of the salt shaker. We want you to use your time to be poured out and make a difference at the ball field, in your neighborhood, at work. Because being the church is not just a six-week thing we do every couple of years. It's the heart of who we're called to be as Christ followers. That's why over the Halloween weekend, all three of our campuses are going to be engaging in activities that are literally designed to help you connect with and build relationships with people in the community. So I would encourage you to be the church by finding out what your campus is doing and see where you can plug in and be a part of it because we have to go deeper with Zacchaeus. And then finally, number three, the third thing we have to do to reach a Zach, and this one is hard. We have to be willing to let God change them, to let God change them. Listen, because Jesus connected with Zach and invested relationally with Zach, notice how Zach responds, verses eight and nine. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. Don't miss what's not there. Do you see, there's nothing in this passage to tell us that Jesus said anything to Zach about how he managed his money and how he ran his business. Jesus didn't tell him, you need to give money back, you need to stop cheating, you need to take care. No, Jesus was just there. All of that came out of Zach. Because see, that's what happens when people meet Jesus. When you meet Jesus, I mean really, meet Jesus. I'm not talking about some kind of surfacy religious experience. I'm talking about coming face to face with God in the flesh. In those moments, you become painfully aware of your faults and your flaws and your failures. And there's this overwhelming desire to change. Like Isaiah in the Old Testament, right? You remember the first time Isaiah saw the power and presence of God in the temple? He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. First words out of Isaiah's mouth, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. 
It's Jesus that does the change. Church, we must resist the urge to be lifestyle referees for the people around us and just introduce them to Jesus and let him change what needs to be changed. And here's the thing. The things we think they need to change, the problems we think they have and need to fix are often inaccurate. See, here's another fun fact about this story that you probably never thought of. There's nothing in this passage to indicate that Zach was a bad guy. Yes, he was a tax collector, but there was nothing to say that he cheated that he took more. He doesn't say, I've stolen from people and I'm gonna give it back four times. He says, if, if I have done anything wrong, I will make it right four times over. See, that's the thing. You're not the Holy Spirit. You see what you think is wrong with people and you feel some urge to tell them about it so they will change but you don't know what you don't know. It's not your job to convict people of their sins. It's your job to introduce them to Jesus and let him change their lives. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10 that it is God who makes us what we are. And all of this new life, all of this transformation comes through a relationship with him. Change lives, it's God's work. God changes lives, not the guilt we heap on people or the condemnation or the judgment we pass. The best thing for us to do is just look for opportunities to reach out to, connect, and care about the Zachs around us and allow them to see Jesus in us. That's the mission. This last verse on your outline, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with it, but maybe you didn't know the context, that this is the end of the story of Zacchaeus. And Jesus just simply says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the mission Jesus came for, and that's the mission he's given us to carry on, church. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the truth and relevance of your word. That no matter how much the culture around us changes, your word never does. And I thank you that we can see in an encounter over 2,000 years ago, truth that can help us live out the mission that you've called us to. But Jesus, I also know that we can't do this on our own. We need your strength. We need your power. We need you to pour out and fill us with your Holy Spirit in ways that allow us to see the things that we need to change and then the strength to step out in faith and live on mission to be the church that you've called us to be. It's in your name we pray, amen.